everyone. Welcome back to a very, very, very special episode of Uncanny Treks, where we wrap up our coverage of Copenhagen Cowboy. That's right. We're talking Copenhagen Cowboy, episode four from Mr. Chang with Love, episode five, Copenhagen, and episode six, Heavens Will Fall. I am Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. How the hell are you doing tonight, Matt? Bob, first thing I need to ask you, uh, what is this about you want to like being able to talk to your dick? I mean, you know, it's uh, it's important to have open lines of communication with your body, Matt. Okay, so you, you have no issues with talking to your cock and having a conversation with it. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just a, it's important to keep open lines of communication. Like, <laughs> when, when can communication be wrong, Matt? Tell me that. Yeah, that, this was my big takeaway from episode four, Bob. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, Matt, why are we why are we breaking the format? Why are instead of talking about these with Star Trek Picard, why are we talking about the last three episodes all together? Because, Bob, it was so damn good that I had to just keep watching it. <laughs> you got addicted, Matt. You just, could, you just couldn't stop with episode five. You had to see episode yeah. six. And, and I, will, I want to let the listeners know that if you have not watched this show, you need to watch it. You got to make it at least episode five. And then it all comes into it all starts to make sense. And your brain will just like melt into goo. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. good. <laughs> and then you will be forced to watch episode six. Indeed. Indeed. You will not be able to wait a week and, and cover it with the Picard season finale. You have to go straight in. <laughs> yeah. And I really did. I, I think that would have been like a disservice to both shows doing both. Of the, <laughs> doing the well, season. I, Whatever happens at Picard, I don't know. But I'm just saying. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, the whole point of my original gimmick of us talking Star Trek Picard and Copenhagen Cowboy was to do a disservice to Star Trek Picard, Matt. That was the whole idea. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's be honest. Uh, yeah. But Star Trek Picard, Bob. It's, it's a bit that bad. Yeah. It, it hadn't been that good, bro. It hadn't yeah. been that good. <laughs> but that's a, that's a, that's a different episode. Yeah, yeah. Check that out. Check that coverage out, you know, in, in our other episodes. But let me say this, Bob. Episode four of Copenhagen Cowboy, I tried to watch in a condo in L.A., okay? Hollywood mad over here. Hollywood yeah, I was out there visiting my, my sister-in-law. You were taking a meeting with Nicholas Windegreffen in Hollywood. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was in this condo and I was watching episode four and I just was like, okay, this is really weird. Why is it so damn dark? And it just kept, it kept doing those panning shots, you know, where they do that. He goes across mm -hmm. the whole mm -hmm. like room and everything was just pitch black dark. And what the hell is going on? I got probably 20 minutes in the episode before I realized some jackass had turned the brightness all the way down on the TV. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. It didn't seem to affect the menus on like Netflix and stuff, but it affected actual shows. <laughs> and I thought it was an artistic choice, Bob. I really did. But I watched the first, I watched episode four the first time around with, with, with like thinking that, that was the intention. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as much as I love uh, television from people like David Lynch and, Nicholas Windegreffen and David Hawley, there always is that issue of like, oh, is something an artistic choice or is my TV just fucked up? That's always that's always a, that's always a question you have to ask yourself. And, and this probably does not affect you as much, Bob. But for me, with video games, every single video game you play now, you have to set the brightness settings. But you're not you're Ooh. setting them in this weird way where they'll show you like two icons, and on the right side of the screen, you're only supposed to you're supposed to see the entire icon and all its beauty. And the left side, you're barely supposed to be able to see it. And in my brain, I'm always like, shit, am I going to really going to get the best experience? I'm having to sit here and like switch up the brightness every time I do this. And I'm like, am I missing out on something? Is it changing the brightness for your TV or just for the game? Just for the question? game. 
Huh. That's which is weird. And and it's like that with almost every game now. And it, it I can tell you there have been times I've played games and mid-game I'll go in and change the brightness settings within the game itself. And mm-hmm. be like, oh, there's like way more shit to look at. So <laughs> I, I worry that either my eyes are messed up or, or, or you know, I, I, I just don't want to miss out on something cool because of a, a freaking like brightness setting. Yeah, I, I I think we both have old man eyes and that's kind of a problem. But yeah, that also seems like, like I, I don't know. I'm just I'm generally not a fan of things being customizable. I'm generally a fan of like, yeah, okay, that's what like, I'm saying. It drives me crazy. because I feel like I'm missing. I feel like I'm going to miss out on something or that I'm not going to be able to see it the way it was intended to be seen. Yeah, I mean, not that not that I game, but I feel the same way kind of like about film or TV. It's just like, I, yeah, I, I assume the designer or the creator the auteur like has a specific way they want this watched. And I would like to watch it in that way. <laughs> you know, you got it. And see the thing with the brightness in the games, I play a lot of games where you're like, like horror type stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, supposed so you to be do dark. Want a short, more shadowy image. Yeah. Yes. But at the same time, I also don't want to like lose all the, like the detail and graphics detail, and stuff. Yeah. Other, yeah. The struggle is real, Matt. The yeah. struggle is real. <laughs> Let's dive into this episode. I do have one other quick question, Matt. Oh, go ahead. Do you think if the brightness settings had been right on your Hollywood TV, do you think <laughs> you would have been riveted by episode four? Or do you think it still would have just been only episode five or your interest kicked into high gear? I rewatched episode four, uh, you know, after this, because I, I I felt like I didn't get the experience the first time around. Uh-huh. I will say I enjoyed episode four after the first part, like more towards the end of the episode. Strangely, when we start talking about, you know, the dude getting his dick reconstructed. Oh, that's uh, this riveting cinema, man. Yeah, it's it's cinema. hilarious. <laughs> it's good dialogue. That's the main yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the guy who plays Nick Oss's, uh father is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. All right. You want to walk us through the A plot of episode four from Mr. Chang with love, Matt? Sure. So after defeating Nicholas and leaving him to be devoured in the pig barn, Miu again soothes Mr. Chang's migraines, then puts herself forward as collateral for the return to Mother Holda's daughter. Yeah. And I guess I uh, messed up there. That should be the return of Mother Holda's oh. daughter. My apologies to the listeners. And then in the B plot, in order to meet her new debt to Mr. Chang, Mew returns to an old friend, a shady lawyer named Miroslav, who gets Mew a job dealing under a drug dealer named Danny. Oh, Danny boy. Good old Danny. Such a sweet guy. Yeah, nice guy. Nice guy. Great guy. I think one of my favorite details from this episode is early we have like the super in position of Mew's face over the surface of the water under which Muse, you know, dead friend Simona is and also like over Nicholas. And I guess later we sort of get more of an explanation for this. We'll kind of save that to when we get to it in episode six. But it's it's a very kind of kind of like a lot of the effects in this. It's a kind of simple, kind of cheesy effect, but kind of like David Lynch, like Refn is really good at making those like simple, cheesy effects, like feel really resonant, you know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is a lot like David Lynch when uh, Agent Cooper's face is superimposed at the end of Twin Peaks, The Return. Yeah, yeah. Always with the always with the superimposing. That's like another word for artsy. <laughs> yeah, you got to gotta superimpose the art, artsiness. So, Matt, we got kind of two big fight set pieces in this, uh, in this episode. We have the fight in the pig barn with Mew and Nicholas, and then we have – or rather, I think that was the end of last – the end of episode three, but we have the, the pig barn fight with Nicholas. And then we have uh, the parking garage fight between Mew and the punk chicks. Did you have a preference between those two fights? 
I prefer the fight with Nicholas, but uh, Mew has moves. I'm not really knowledgeable to tell you what actual martial art it is, but she's obviously a training. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no idea what the style is. Or yeah, it's, it's like yeah, I mean, it could be a combination styles. of yeah. several. I don't know. It, it's it's insane. Like she's got some kicks and flips and drop kicks and spin kicks. I don't think we talked about this in earlier episodes, but I think around this episode, it's when Mew really starts to remind me of Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. Right. With like the jumpsuit and like so not all, all of the fight fighting moves, but some of the fighting style is very reminiscent of Uma Thurman's fighting style. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all martial arts. Yeah, it's like, and we didn't see a lot yeah. of this in the earlier episodes, so I'm kind of like, it was kind of like, whoa, she can fight. Very much so. So, Matt, how would you feel about being devoured by pigs? And I'm okay with that. It probably would be pretty painful, but I mean... Looks like I have something to eat. <laughs> you know, like my whole life, I've been warned about how dangerous hogs can be. Do you remember like the beginning of the Wizard of Oz? Not really, because Wizard of Oz always kind of traumatized me as a child. Oh, well, uh, I mean, it kind of probably should have been because it starts off with Dorothy like playing on top of a fence and then falling into the hog pen. And they're freaking out. Like there's like three different uh, farmhands that come to her rescue. And as a kid, I always thought, oh, she fell. You know, then I realized, no, it's a hog pen. They'll fucking eat her. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard of Oz didn't go into like detail about that, which I guess makes sense for still traumatize you though. Did you ever see the great TV show Hannibal? I haven't watched it, no. Oh, it's it's incredible. Um, it's a little too long to do for the show for like uh, for us, like in podcasting. But yeah, it's a great show. R- highly recommend it. Very arty, very disgusting, very, very well made. But th- this also ties into the the film Hannibal that Ridley Scott did about 20 years ago. But one of the villains in there is like a guy who like owns pigs. He's like a billionaire or whatever, owns pigs, uses them to dispose of his enemies, but also like fell into them and like they they fucked up his face, you know, so okay. I. I always I always think of uh, him. Did you ever watch Boardwalk Empire? I did. Yes. You remember the the lead in the first two seasons? I think Michael Pitts, the actor's name. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. He plays he plays the villain in uh, who who's had his face like fucked up by like Hannibal, and then has oh. the pigs in Hannibal. He's great. So my question, Bob, why don't more serial killers murderers use hogs? Is are they not is it not traceable, or do they leave behind stuff? It's a pretty common thing. Like, I mean, it's not super common, but it's not uncommon in in like, you know, crime fiction and such. I don't know how thorough pigs actually are with their eating. Are they going like are they going to eat the bones? Like what's going to happen to the okay. bones after they pass? I'm not I'm not really sure about that. And I, I also I imagine it's like somewhat expensive to maintain hogs, especially if you're not like slaughtering them or, you, you know, if you're just using them as corpse disposal. I'm saying like, why can't you have a friend who's a hog farmer and you just like pay him like dispose of your bodies? I mean, I don't know how real serial killers are, but I know how serial killers and TVs and shows and movies yeah, are they're about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also they're very they usually tend to be very adamant about like the presentation of the corpse is an important part of the ritual. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least that's always how TVs and movies play it up. So I think that might be part of it, too. Like most, most serial killers are are not in the game to not get caught, at least in TV and movies. They're in it to get off and they have to, you know, do you know, get off in the broadest sense. They like to play with their food, not just throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. And they have to. Gotcha. So they have to do specific things with with their prey, as it were. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just thinking of Dexter, you know, dumping his bodies in the in the ocean. 
Yeah, that's because he was trained uh, by Harry from an early age to overcome some of the more compulsive act, <laughs> compulsive aspects of being a serial killer. You know, that is very true, Bob. Don't get sloppy. Follow the code. <laughs> Follow the code. <laughs> To, to kind of get back on track, then to go off track again. So, you know, we talked about Danny, the nicest uh, drug dealer ever, Muse's new boss. Um, I, I would say he's even nicer than the drug dealers in The Wire. Have you ever seen The Wire? I watched the first few episodes of season one, I think. I need to get back into it. You need to get back into it. It's it's a great show, man. One of the, one of the best. One of the best. Yeah. Especially since she liked We Own This City. Yeah, I love that show, but it was only like, what, six episodes? <laughs> yeah, six as opposed to 60. Yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, were you surprised that Nicholas survived his trip among the hogs? And perhaps more importantly, were you surprised that his penis did not survive? I was very surprised. And, I, you know, I, I, I guess they just went for straight for the penis. I don't know. I guess they ate through his clothes and didn't well, decide yeah. to eat his whole arm. I imagine that the penis is a pretty, you know, it's out there. It's pretty appetizing first part, you know. Yeah. He should have tried yeah. to tuck it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's hard to have the presence of mind to know what to do with your penis when you're being eaten by hogs. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll give Nicholas that. It's a challenging situation for us all. We This does occasion some of the best dialogue in the entire series from Nicholas's father when he's describing the reconstructed uh, penis for his son. Harder, stronger, bigger, more powerful, more imaginative. Yeah, he also starts off the whole thing like saying, I want you to imagine the largest possible thing you can think of. <laughs> like you can envision. It's like Steve Jobs pitching the iPhone. It's beautiful. And then he's like, now take that vision and move it down to you know where. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? This dude is like obsessed with dicks. It's, it's scary. No, no. It's perfectly normal and healthy for a father to think that much about his father, his son's uh, dick. Man, I don't know what you I don't know what you're on about. Per perfectly normal. Perfectly healthy. It's also really hilarious that Muse terrible customers for Coke are the contractors that Nicholas, <laughs> his father, has hired to build the prosthetic penis. It's very funny. You think they were just extras or was that like, you know, intended? <laughs> I think that was it. I think that was very yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. To, to move ahead to episode five, uh, Copenhagen, what, what goes down in the A plot? Matt? Oh, my God. Bob, this episode, this, I'm just going to go ahead and start off saying Copenhagen to me was like a crack fueled dream it was a trip so when i when i describe the a plot and the b plot i'm like what the hell matt this doesn't sound that amazing but you, this is one you got to see it's kind of yeah. it kind of reminds me of that episode of uh twin peaks was it episode eight episode uh or 12 yeah i think it's episode eight yeah episode eight yeah like yeah. you can't just describe it you just don't watch the damn episode <laughs> even if you <laughs> all right anyway so in the a plot in the good danny's words the city's burning from a gang war and sadly he's an early casualty so Mew uses the opportunity to double cross Miroslav and still cope to buy Mother Holda's daughter's freedom for Mr. Chang, who unfortunately still has a hit job for Mew, Miroslav's underling, Dusan. Yes. And you're like, that sounds boring as hell, Matt. Trust me, just watch it. It's riveting. It's riveting. And in the B plot, mangled dickless Nicholas has a, a vision of his sister Raquel, who demands revenge on Mew and tells Nicholas to revive her with their mother Bates' blood. Yeah, it's it's batshit crazy, folks. 
So one of my favorite details was, you know, we, we see the gang war relatively early in the episode and it's just like a montage of people flailing after being shot. And it sort of looks like they're being shot, but it also just sort of looks like they're dancing at a club. It's really it's really weird. It's a very odd choice. Yeah, it's trippy. And you see a bunch of like guns, like you'll see like just the tips of guns and them firing, mm-hmm. which is a really nice visual. Like, I don't think I've ever seen something like that before. <laughs> you, you heard it here first, folks. Matt's a fan of just the tip. <laughs> Matt, do you think either of us could pull off Mr. Chang's very fly tropical flower shirt? No, I'm more of like a I'll wear like a solid color. I don't usually wear the, the, the print designs like that. It's pretty yeah, cool. Though. Yeah. It is a good shirt. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I could rock it successfully either. I, I will say that for like as outre as this episode was and for all the crazy visual things, one of my favorites was just all the camera work like inside Miroslav's fancy law office. Like the uh, camera just keeps panning across the office and like keeps cutting across all these columns, like these wood columns he has in his office. It's a, it was a really kind of interesting effect. Very simple, but I, I enjoyed it. It'll make you feel very uh, disoriented sometimes. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. What was your favorite visual, Matt? So my favorite visual element was Nicholas's. like, he has this creepy new look. His face is covered with like this black mask thing. Mm-hmm. He, only, you can, he only can see with one eye. And he wears this like very dark, almost like a, it's not a rubber suit, but it's some kind of like just get up that covers his whole body because he's been injured. You know, they compare mm-hmm. his, uh, they compared the damage he, he took from the hogs to that of like a victim of war. So obviously he's <laughs> in a lot of pain, like specifically make sure they say that like one of the nurses, I think. And, you know, he uses a cane. He just looks like an evil villain. And yeah, yeah. he just starts talking to his sister who is dead. I get, I think she's dead. Well, I, I think she's dead, but there's this vision of her that like is floating and is creepy and has this weird design on her chest that I can't even fathom what the fuck it's supposed to be. And he just sits in his little chair and is like having this conversation about how he can get her to help with the muse situation. And, you know, (laughs) she of course says, murder your mother. I need her blood. And that's how I can be resurrected. Like where, how did this go from this to this? (laughs) It's It's like, (laughs) <laughs> it was so quick. Like, I'm like, whoa, this is like, there's supernatural, like lots of supernatural shit going on. Like, I know I pointed out the coffins earlier in the series, like, yeah, it was like episode two yeah. or three, but that, I mean, I'm like, you whatever, did. they got coffins, they're freaky, maybe they just sleep in them. I don't know. But this is like next level supernatural type shit. Yeah, it, it is some vampire type shit. Raquel's great. It's a, it's a very, it's a very cool presentation. Um, did you feel like you gained any insight from Miroslav's having this voiceover about how he found you when she was a child in the snow? And then, you know, while we're hearing this voiceover, we're seeing Mew doing what I can only describe as like Power Ranger style power ups. Yeah. And light was like shooting off of her hands. Oh, this is fucking weird. But mm-hmm. is she an alien? Is she a witch? Because he's Maybe. like, don't put a curse on me. You know, he said he met her mother at one point. Didn't really go into any details. I'm really not supposed to know, am I, Bob? I'm not supposed to. They're not going to tell me. We get some idea. I mean, it's still very general, but I mean, we get a little bit more of an idea in the next episode. But yeah, it's. uh, it's, We we kind of know at this point she's definitely there's something supernatural going on there. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely more than she seems. She's not just a human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. Definitely not. 
And then I, I will say I, I really liked uh, the scene of Mew killing Dusan in a very kind of, you know, kind of witch-like way. And you get Dusan's last words being this kind of plea of I can change completely, which is, you know, nice foreshadowing of the fact that he is about to change completely because he's about to die. Yeah, I had to go back and uh, with Dusan, I had to try to make sure I didn't miss something with him. So I had to go back in the episode and kind of watch to make sure I didn't because he, he kind of came in quickly. Yeah, I don't think there's much. Yeah, I don't think there's much about him beyond what we're saying. There's, here. Yeah, there's not. That's yeah, why I, I just yeah. thought he seemed to have a more significant role of some sort after listening to him. But then he yeah. just didn't. Nothing more. Well, and it is kind of this thing that the series kind of likes to do is that it pretty suddenly introduces like companions to the characters. Right. So like we kind of see this in the next episode, too, where like. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure Nicholas has the servant ask, and I, I'm pretty sure we've not seen ask before in the series, right? So, like, yeah, kind of like with uh, Dusan, although I think we actually did see Dusan in episode four, but there is this kind of thing of he all of a sudden becomes very, very important to the plot, as kind of ask did in the last episode. Yeah, like it feels like, but also feels like <laughs> he and Mew have some kind of past together. It does. Yeah. That so how does it? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Well, which is probably similar. You know, it's probably interconnected with Mew and Miroslav's past. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bob. So let's move on to episode six, which I had to watch. I like after I finished episode five, I just had to go straight into episode six. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're going to go ahead and round out Copenhagen Cowboy. Tell us about the A plot of uh, Heavens Will Fall, Matt. So Mr. Chang, with great difficulty, completes his deal with Mew for returning. I to Mother Holda, but not before we have a surprising revelation and even more surprising proposal. And then in the B-plot, Nicholas has his servant ask, hunt and cook a businessman's heart to fully revive Raquel. That's right, kids. <laughs> so in the, in the scenes with Nicholas and Raquel in this episode, I think we might have mentioned this before in an earlier episode, but did the sound design and like the faint music really remind you of the sound design around the monoliths in 2001? It really did. Yes. It just had that like. It almost took on like a galactic type feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> it me, like, yeah. yeah. Like I, I, that's the way that's the best way to describe it. It felt like it, there's something spacey going on with these people now, yeah. like, even though they seem like vampires. I also feel like maybe they're like Miss Marvel or some shit as well. Like, I don't know what's yeah, co cosmic vampires. Cosmic. cosmic. There you go. Uh, I do want to I want I want to put on one thing, Bob, in this episode. And maybe I made uh -huh. a mistake here. Uh -huh. When did the mom die in episode five or six? Uh, at the end of episode five. Okay. So we accidentally skipped over that. My bad guys. But I do want to point out that the death of Nicholas's mother at the end of episode five is both sexual and yep. extremely violent at the same time. Yep. yep. A very scary combination that will have your heart going. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, as a, as is everything in between uh, uh, Bat and Nicholas's relationship. It's deeply unsettling. It opens up a lot. At the end of that episode, you're like, wait a minute. There's more to this <laughs> than they put on. Well, the and also that it seems on like Bat's part, it seems to be voluntary like her being killed for the sake of her daughter and son it's yes. very very strange it's very disturbing strange. and just it's uh it, it it had me like shivering but i didn't want to skip that because that is how of course raquel gets resurrected 
Yeah. So, but she's yeah. still hungry, Matt. She needs to eat. She needs yeah, she to get her strength cook back. and feed her a heart. <laughs> she's come back yeah. to life, but she needs strength. She's like, uh, what was that? It was Hellraiser, remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very weak, crawling around. <laughs> so, Matt, would you, would you eat a cooked heart? Hell no, Bob. I would not eat a cooked heart. They made it even worse because the, the damn chef or whatever slices it. And it looks yeah. just like regular meat. And I'm like, ah, thanks. I mean, this whole series, in some sense, it's not its main focus, but it's, you know, it's a it's a it's a good argument for vegetarianism. Yeah, that's what they're going for here. It creeps <laughs> me the fuck out. No, while while I'm uh, ideologically sympathetic to being to vegetarianism, I'm just lazy and cheap. And so don't do it. But I'm ideologically sympathetic to it. Uh, but that said, I, I would totally eat a heart of someone, you know, like me not eating the heart's not going to bring the person back to life, Matt. He's going to take all, they're going to zap all their energy. So, I mean, and, and I, maybe some of their memories are maybe part of their soul and they'll interact with you in your brain. If that, if that happened, that would be really cool. But I'm also just really curious what it tastes like. Oh, you know, if I get memories or a piece of soul, that's, that's even better. But yeah, no, no. I'm just kind of curious what it tastes like. And again, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I wouldn't kill someone to eat their heart, Matt. That would be wrong. Yeah. But if they're already dead, I mean, again, me not eating the heart, not going to bring them back to life. Like they're trying to resuscitate the dude. You're like, Hey, can I have that heart? <laughs> what the hell, Bob? Dibs on the heart. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So, Bob, so far today, you told me that you want to have conversations with your cock and that you want to partake in no, cannibalism. Matt, I, I didn't say I wanted to have conversations with my penis. I, When you asked me about the possibility, I just said, can communication be wrong? You're uh, you're, you're way overselling yeah. my words there. And after and after all of this, you know, you're just praising Hannibal. So. Dick talking, flesh eating, motherfucker. Gotcha. Well, really, like if you think about it, like this, uh, this show makes cannibalism look kind of disgusting, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the show Hannibal. I mean, this is not going to be a selling point for you, but I'm still going to say it so the <laughs> listeners can hear it. Man, the the show Hannibal makes cannibalism look delicious. There's a oh, lot God. of food porn around uh, what what Mads Mikkelsen is cooking up from his victims in that show. So I guess it's probably all in presentation, right? Yeah. it's Well, there's a lot of attention to presentation and then there's a lot of attention to the like the non-disgusting aspects of preparation, if that makes sense. Oh, OK. So it's like you're not necessarily like seeing him like slaughter the human, but you're seeing like what he does with the meat like after it's not like recognizably human anymore, if that makes sense. He's like gathering the spices and turning it into a chicken salad. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Hannibal. Great. That's a great show. <laughs> you know that you know that thing, it literally aired on NBC, man. It's the wildest thing ever. That is, that is it insane. Aired, yeah, it aired on NBC. I, I just want to say one thing, much better than Dexter, Matt. Much better than oh, Dexter. Oh, okay. Much better than Dexter. <laughs> so back to this, uh, back to the episode, Bob. Yeah. So uh, one of my favorite moments in this episode, and it's kind of a smaller thing, but, you know, we have the scene where Mr. Chang and Mew are negotiating about I. And, I, you know, I mean, it's really pretty neon lighting, neon purple lighting, of course, because it's Refn, but... I love how like the camera really slows down in this meeting and it's panning around, but it's not as like kinetic as a lot of the earlier moving camera shots had been in the show. So that, that was something that really uh, stood out to me. And also, we, of course, learned in this series that I is uh, not just Mr. Chang's hostage, but his daughter. 
which completely shifts the whole dynamic and scene. God, mm-hmm. that was that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Because at first, when he's coloring with the little girl and like patting her hair, you're like, it's oh, really creepy. He's a pedophile. Yeah. What? Yeah. And then, then they, then the minute you find out that it's his daughter, he basically goes and does the exact same thing, and it's like, oh, he loves his daughter so much, he's protected. <laughs> There's more to this than we know. <laughs> yeah, M- Mother Holda's been uh, lying or at least withholding the truth from you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of revelations, Matt, were you surprised by the revelation uh, from Raquel to Nicholas that Mew is a hive mind? I believe the way Raquel puts it is she has many. Yeah, that was a crazy revelation. And then once you start to see all the other like whatever Mew is, they're all wearing the jumpsuits. Yeah. The other Mews within Mew, I guess. I don't know how else to say it. There's like a there's like ten or eleven of them I think that we see. Uh, I probably even though I was praising the earlier Chang Mew scene, probably the most to me the most striking scene of the whole episode has to be the f- kind of forest and curtained room scene where first Mister Chang is proposing to Mew, but then you know they make peace with the idea that they're going to have to battle. It's just in you know huge Black Lodge vibes to the whole thing, both the woods and the curtained room. You know, very reminiscent of the Black Lodge and Twin Peaks. And then I don't know. I think I think the Mister Chang and Mew fight scene is like my favorite fight scene in the entire series. Yeah, that scene is awesome. It's literally recreating a video game fight at the beginning. Mm, you have the way they move forward, the way they move back. They stay in a single line like you would in a two D game. I was like, that's awesome. Given what we had kind of revealed at the end of the uh, episode, very kind of thematically appropriate, right? Yes, it's 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 awesome. I really did love that scene where like uh, Mew like throws Mister Chang through the wall, and but it's not like he busts through the wall; it's just like he vanishes into the wall of the yeah of the Black Lodge. <laughs> and my dumbass thought, Bob, he was going to come out the other side. Yeah. <laughs> but behind oh, no, not, not just you, me too. Me too. Okay, that good, good. Been, yeah, <laughs> I was like, it was like Scorpion, get over here, <laughs> some yeah. shit like that. And I, 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 I've seen this show before, and even I. I even I kind of thought that he would, yeah. he would show up the other side. Yeah. These last two episodes mess with your mind. There's lots of scenes like that. So when you go watch it, just be prepared because you will be happy to know that in the other kind of climactic confrontation, which doesn't doesn't fully. I mean, it's very climactic, but it doesn't it is not as resolved as the Mr. Chang and you fight. But we have Raquel and you facing down and we have. Uh, Raquel with just this really blood curdling scream. And uh, it really uh, it really perturbed my cat. She was very upset by Raquel's scream. It was great. Uh, my dog freaked out and ran to the back of the house. Oh, poor dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what sound they did. Like, I, I don't I don't know what frequency that's on. But man, it, it messes with animals. Yeah. Yeah. Did you um, watch Raised by Wolves? No. Um, it's a pretty good show. It, it, it sadly HBO. I, I think I've said this on a different episode of this podcast before, but um, it's a good show. But it kind of ends inconclusively at the end of season two, and you know because the era of cheap money is over, we're not going to get good streaming content anymore. Ugh. It seems like, and so yeah, HBO Max like you know not only didn't renew it, but like kicked it off the platform and over to Tubi with Babylon Five and Westworld. Uh, Tubi. Yeah, yeah. 
So now you can watch this beautiful Ridley Scott vision with crappy ads in between it. <laughs> but the the shrieking in that is is broadly similar to like these sort of female uh, Shrike androids that are that are used in Raised by Wolf and some of the some of the body language between Mew and um, Raquel in this scene also sort of reminded me of how the how the androids move in Raised by Wolves. So might might have been a little bit of an influence there. Well, the next thing Bob we get are Muse laser eyes. Any thoughts f- on her laser eyes? What the fuck? <laughs> just fulfilling the meme, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, just making this as the weirdest shit ever. That's like, yeah. <laughs> just, we go from, we go from we go from video games to streaming TV to a meme. <laughs> yeah, and and I just I didn't expect this at the end of this show based on the first episode. Yeah, like this yeah. level no. of like science fiction type. I, I, I guess it is, it is science fiction. It's just sort of. So, I mean, yeah, but I, it's also there's some horror involved though too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, crime. And I, mean, I, I think I I think I told you uh, at the beginning that it's you know it's kind of Nicholas Winding Refn's superhero show. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's and that's kind of what we get when we see the whole Mew Hive collective group join in. Like, is their whole thing just to make things? to put an end to wrongs or put it or write the, write the wrongs of, of places they go and then meet up to fight, you know, it the seems ones who like do the it. opposite. It seems like it. Although yeah. it also like, I mean, it seems like you do get people caught up like Miroslav and Dunsan are kind of caught up and, or Dusan Miroslav and Dusan are caught up by them. And, you know, Dusan is killed. And it seems like if there ever is a season two of this, you might come for Miroslav or vice mm-hmm. versa. And I don't know, it, it's kind of interesting because it seems like in the past, Mew collaborated with Miroslav and Dusan, but, you know, now she's like willing to kill them, like for the greater good of, you know, reuniting Mother Holda with her daughter, that sort of thing. So there is that kind of like, you know, they're just going to right wrongs and, you know, Mew's going to help out sex workers as <laughs> like, you know, whether it's Mother Holda or, you know, Simona in the early, in the first episode. But then there's also like she's also willing to like negotiate and collaborate with, you know, these crime lords, basically. And in some sense, almost like work for them. Like, you know, she she does that to some extent with Mr. Chang and seems to have done that in the past with Miroslav and also seems to I forget the name of our uh, Serbian sex traffickers but you know she almost is working for our serbian sex traffickers early in the show too does she have precognition of like what's going on though ahead of time that's my thing like because maybe she just knows if she does if a leads to b then b leads to like you know what i mean like yeah yeah she's playing she's playing she's playing along with as it were yeah yeah which i guess will make her which will make her uh, omniscient wouldn't necessarily mean up wouldn't necessarily be omniscience i mean you can you can have you can have Inside or precognition without omniscience. No, well, I mean, she almost does get her ass kicked sometimes, but never yeah, really sees. Yeah. Seems like she's in pain. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so I guess there's one other thing we need to talk about before we talk about the end, Matt. So were you uh, were you surprised by, how, or rather, before we talk about the future of the show, if there is one, um, were you surprised by how the uh, series ended? All right. So Bob, at the end of the show, Miroslav is having like a video chat with Hideo Kojima. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Hideo Kojima, Bob. 
I, I know the name and I know a certain amount of the internet reveres him for some Blade Runner solid or something. But yeah, <laughs> Blade I don't Runner solid. <laughs> Metal Gear solid. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Hideo Kojima basically created Metal Gear Solid and also this recent series with a uh, Guelmo del Tormo called uh, Death Stranding. But okay. all these games are super freaky and fit in with like what's going on here in Copenhagen Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, like it this could be another like, part of that world. It sounds like he's just kind of buddy buddy with a lot of film directors like Nicholas Windegreffen or Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, you got it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, in a certain way, it's kind of. I mean, I don't know if like if I were like familiar with Blade Runner Solid or Death Death Wish or whatever you're describing. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure if I would. Um, it would mean more to me that he shows up. And, you know, I, I, at first I'm a little put off by the, by the end of the show being like a Skype conversation, but I do have to say like the specifically like Hideo Kojima's last line, which is the last line of the show um, off to the giants, because he's, he's telling, uh, he's telling Miroslav that only these, you know, these giants, whatever they are, the only thing that can defeat you and protect Miroslav. I found that, uh, I found that line like really, really cool. It was a fun delivery to off to the giants. Yeah. I also, I really appreciated that the background to Hideo Kojima's video conference was fake. <laughs> Nice, nice. <laughs> which just made it look even like I think it was done on purpose because I don't think Miroslav or Hideo Kojima's character are meant to be like legit, you know, like, like well, good, it, good gangsters also, or whatever. <laughs> oh, well, I, I think my, maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I, my impression from the Nizi, and this is the second time I've watched this series, is like that's lit literally supposed to be Hideo Kojima, not like Hideo Kojima cameos as like a gangster that Miroslav knows, but like, Oh, it literally is. That was at least my impression. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be. Totally, well, I mean, I that could, could be, totally be that there. makes sense. Cause Hideo Kojima does shit like that in his games too. So uh, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know. <laughs> so my question though, hold on now this, the director of this, he hasn't been around too long, right? Cause I'm so Hideo oh, no, Kojima has been, been around, around for a since long like time. Okay. So, all right. How, yeah. Like, uh, Refn's been directing for 20 years or so. Uh, well, okay. Hideo Chijima's been around since the 80s. So I, I'm, I'm the, I think Refn's first, Refn's first film was Pusher, which I think was like, I want to say it was like 2005. Okay. I'm just thinking maybe that he got some inspiration from Hideo Kojima's stuff. Because Hideo Kojima's been around way longer. Like he he was, Hideo Kojima's stuff started um, off mid-90s. I, I, I mean, maybe this is just because I think cinema is more important than a film, but I, I, I think it probably more goes the other way. You think that Hideo Kojima got influence from him? Yeah. I could see that too, Bob. Yeah, no, actually, Refn's been directing his first film, Pusher. I was wrong. It was not 2006. It was 1996. Oh, there. Okay, yeah. They're just, well, there goes the whole conversation. Yes, they're, <laughs> they're just buddies. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, again, I've never, never played and never will play a Kojima game. Oh, you, you want, but I'm just saying, yeah, I, I was just saying the, the timeline yeah. wise though, Middle Gristol has been out forever. Like they came out in the nineties. So, yeah. and then there's been a hundred of those games since. Yeah. No, you should watch other Refn films. I mean, you said you've seen Bronson, right? Oh yeah. I've seen Bronson. Yeah. The Pusher trilogy is great. Uh, Valhalla Rising is great. Uh, Only God forgives. I like uh, an ex of mine hated it, but I like it. 
Well, I guess the I guess the thing uh, other than doing the character and episode of the week, the thing that is kind of left to us is the future of this series, which my initial understanding was that this was marketed as a miniseries, but apparently it's, I guess, intended to maybe be an ongoing. Refn said he's written a treatment for season two, but he wants to do another film before he shoots season two. So okay, good. maybe maybe a season two will happen, but it also wouldn't surprise me if it didn't. Um, the other Refn TV show is Too Old to Die Young. And I think it was originally written to be an ongoing show, too. But I think it was like so expensive that Amazon decided to not keep it going. And so it was pretty much marketed as a miniseries. And it also sort of has an open end, although it's a it's a little bit more of a decisive ending from what I remember than Copenhagen Cowboy. It, but it's still, you know, it still would leave room to do a season two if you wanted. Yeah, I, I can I'm actually fine with Copenhagen Cowboy ending right here because it's just so weird that it makes it great. (laughs) Yeah. I don't need to explain. Like, I really don't want to, while my mind wants the explanation, I know that whatever they come up with is not going to be as cool as just the mystery of it. Yeah. And I mean, it does, it, it does like bring, it seems like it has pretty much like brought to a close a lot of the major characters, plot lines, like mother Holda and Mr. Chang and the Serbian sex traffickers, all that and is wrapped up. And well, there's more you could do with like Nicholas and Raquel. You could also pretty much imagine that like Mew defeats them and there's not much more to it. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely be happy if more of this came out. I would definitely watch and enjoy it, but I don't, even though what we're saying makes it sound like it ends on a cliffhanger and it kind of does, it's not, I, I feel like it, it's resolved enough that you never, you never need the sequel. It would be nice, but you don't, you don't need it. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. Exactly. I, I don't, I'm, I'm satisfied at this point with what they've done with like where it ends. Good, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you're satisfied with it. I mean, I, I was going to say, um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't mean that sarcastically. Um, I was going to say for the let, listeners, let, let, let Riffin know, Bob, I'm satisfied. <laughs> hey, I, I actually do know two guys. I, I do know two guys who have worked for him. Oh, wow. We'll let them know that I said that. <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're in regular contact <laughs> with him anymore, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pass it up the daisy chain as it were. Thank, thanks, Bob. He needs to know. <laughs> so um, I was going to tell the listeners that we've talked about if the penguin show that's coming out next year doesn't suck. Um, we might uh, do the other Refn show, Too Old to Die Young, and compare it to the to the Colin Farrell penguin show. That, for in in my random associated mind, that seems like the right thing to do. Yeah, my brother uh, texted me last night, Bob, and he says. There's a trailer for the Penguin HBO show. Looks like they filmed the first episode and made a trailer out of that. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. I said, Bob thinks it looks good, but he didn't even watch the Batman. (laughs) I mean, my brother says, really? What the fuck? (laughs) My thoughts exactly. I I just like the idea of Colin Farrell doing a Tony Soprano impersonation, but in penguin makeup. What can I say? It sounds kind of (laughs) cool. Watch the Batman. He's in it. (laughs) Isn't he only in it for like five minutes? No, he's in it for, well, no, he's got a pretty substantial part in the plot. I mean, they got the iceberg lounge like four times. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. So, shockingly, I don't remember your excruciatingly detailed uh, rendition yeah, of the plot. You could just listen to our episode podcast. again. I went through the whole plot for you. The, wor- the worst podcast we've ever <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Matt. I will, I will watch The Batman before I watch The Penguin. There you go. And we can do a real episode on it. But <laughs> we'll, we'll wait till – how about we wait till a couple weeks before The Penguin premieres? Yeah, let's do that. Get people right. hyped up. Yeah, yeah, it's coming, baby. Uncanny, uncanny <laughs> tracks. We got plans. We got plans. Say to wrap this up, let's go yeah. to the character of the week. Yep. Who was your character of the week, Matt? I'm gonna go with Nicholas's dad. Oh man, <laughs> you're you're a big fan of the man who talks about penises a lot, which is which is interesting because that's what you accuse me of being. <laughs> I'm just saying that dude is a is a an amazing actor. <laughs> I, He's I, got. He's got really good delivery. You can't take that away from him. And his physical features, he's a handsome man, but at the same time, there's something off <laughs> that I, that when you look at him, you're like, ugh, something scary about that guy. <laughs> oh, I just learned something interesting. It looks like uh, Refn himself played one of Mew's drug dealing clients. I'm not sure if that means he was one of the guys who was – Re, you know, redesigning Nicholas's dick, or if he was, or if he was just another one of the random customers we saw in episode five. So my character of the week, got to give it to Mr. Chang, man. Uh, much as I love Mew, I feel like Mr. Chang was the real essential thing for that, uh, for that uh, fight scene in episode six. All right, Bob, my episode of the week goes to episode number five. Okay. Yeah. You're big episode five fan, which is Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah, Copenhagen. I'm going to give it to the finale. Even though I don't uh, know or really care who Hideo Kojima is, I would say uh, the finale. Deeply affecting, deeply affecting. Yeah. Really, finale was great. Nice, nice. All right, Matt. Well, we did it. We uh, we put Copenhagen Cowboy in the books. Uh, good job. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, join us for Star Trek Picard coverage, Star Trek Strange New World coverage, and uh, next year maybe uh, – more Nicholas Winding Refn coverage, but put up against the penguin. Thanks for listening.